morning, everybody. Welcome here on this snowy morning. I'm glad that you've chosen to join us. If you are able, I invite you to stand and we will sing together, Come Let Us Worship and Bow Down. worship this morning is taken from Psalm 95. You'll see it on the screen behind me. I'll, le I'll read the leader parts and Audrey will lead the people part. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For the Lord is our God. We are the people of God's pasture. We, we are, are the, the flock, flock under God's, God's care.
long for living water. We thirst for life. And yet we have drunk deeply of resentment. We have savored self-centeredness. We confess to the Lord. Please join me in silent prayer. Today, O oh God, let us hear your voice. Give, Give us this living water so we may never thirst again. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand if you're able. Blessed be your name. Blessed be. 
invite you to bow with me in prayer. You are an abundant God, and out of your great mercy, you have given us so much. We offer you gifts of money and our whole selves in worship and adoration. May this offering extend to the work of your kingdom in your church, your community, and the beautiful world you have made. Amen. As the worship team takes a seat, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to our scripture passage this morning, which, which comes from John chapter 4, verses 5 to 26. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I will invite the children up to the front row. All right, so we just read some scripture from the Bible that tells us about a conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman by a well outside of her city. So this woman is very interested in knowing more about God and wonders how this man Jesus can know so much about 
uh, about her. Jesus tells her that everyone who drinks of the water he gives them will never be thirsty. And the woman is very curious about Jesus' water. Tyler, what do I have in this cup right here? Yeah, I got water. And where did it come from? Where do you think this water came from? From a lake? Did I go to the lake and scoop it up out into this cup? Or did I fill it up here in church? That's right. I filled it up in church. And that water comes out of the tap, right? So we only have to go to the tap to get water. But back in Jesus' day, uh, they had to go to a well. And the water was deep under the ground. And they had to send a bucket down to scoop up the water and drink from it. Um, and what does water like, do for us? I mean, we drink it when we're thirsty. But what else do we use water for? What do you think, Austin? So we can be healthy? That's right. And not just people need water, but who else or what else all needs water? Animals. What about um, when we're eating? We go and eat vegetables and fruit from the ground. Do, do the vegetables and the fruit need water too? Austin? Yeah, they absolutely do. Otherwise, they wilt, and they might die, they might not produce. That's right, then we can't eat them. Um, how many of you have been really, really thirsty and really wanted a drink of water? Have you ever been that thirsty that you're just feeling like you need, need to have a drink of water? Tyler, do you have gym class at school? After gym class, do you need to have a drink of water? Yes, I know, because I send my kids at school, I send them running around the gym. And the moment we're done, I have 15 hands go up saying, I need to have a drink. And so I know that you guys can get thirsty. Well, Jesus talks about the kind of water that he gives people. And it's not like the water that's in the cup here. It's not like the water that comes out of the ground. But when Jesus talks about water... Whoops. The water he gives us helps us grow on the inside. We are as created as people who want to have fun and want to be connected with each other and with God. And we want to create beautiful and useful things just like God does. And what we learn, or when we learn what Jesus teaches, and when we pray and sing together, it's like Jesus giving us water to help us grow. Please bow with me now as we dismiss the little ones to Children's Church. Dear God, we thank you for each of the children of our congregation, both those here this morning and those that are warm and comfy and cozy at home. God, we pray that they have a good time. We pray that in Children's Church they learn new things about you. And Lord, we just pray a blessing on them for all their lives. And we also want to pray a blessing on our service today. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, Children's Church, down the hall, that way. If you have your bulletins on you, now's the time to pull those on out. And there's a couple things that we need to uh, look at. First, uh, potluck after the service today. I'm excited about that, as always. 
Uh, next, Wednesday, 2 p.m., prayer meeting at the church. Wednesday, 6.30, Kids Connect at the church. We are quickly coming to the end of Kids Connect. And so uh, make sure to make note of that. Also, continue to pray for them that they end the season strong. Sunday, 9.45 a.m., next week, Sunday school, and 10.45 a.m. is the worship service. And next week, we have the privilege of being able to do the care home service at 3 p.m. So I'd encourage you to put that down on your uh, calendars and come on out for that care home service next Sunday at 3 p.m. Then, skipping on down. Uh, if you have a report that you need to put into the yearbook, then make sure to get that to Carrie Swatsky by March 18th. I believe March 18th is this Friday? This Saturday. Oh, well, then you have a whole extra day. No excuse to not get it done in time, I say, realizing I forgot to do it last year until I was talked to a couple times as I should have been. Uh, there also, there's the phone address pages in the back. Uh, make sure to go check those to make sure that your phone and address is right and up to date. Uh, then there's also a sheet in the foyer to write down any hymns that you might want sung over the weeks to come. Also, there is going to be choral music in the church on April 2nd. And if there's a song written down on there, there's a chance it'll get sung that night. So make sure to put your song choices down. And finally, no, not finally, the Far East Broadcasting Evening fundraiser is coming up very soon. Uh, if you are interested in coming, then talk to Evelyn and talk to her today. She needs to get that information in yet today. Uh, so make sure to talk to her if you're interested in going. I believe it's on the 20th, is it not? Yeah, the 20th here at the church. Uh, so make sure that you remember that. And finally, if you're interested in baptism or becoming a member, then get in touch with me. I'd love to have that conversation. Even if you're just on the fence and you want to know more, still interested in having that conversation with you. All right. Any other items for announcements? Ah, then moving on to for prayer. Uh, first, we want to continue to pray for Margaret Schultz. She's going into week three now in the hospital, and I had the privilege of seeing her on Friday, and she really wishes she was anywhere other than the hospital. She's doing well, but that's a long time for anybody. So we want to keep her in our prayers. We also want to pray that uh, wherever she might be going to next, that that becomes illuminated, that that makes sense, that that is laid out before them. Uh, we want to pray for our teachers and students. We're two weeks away from, oh, from spring break now, which means that teachers... Uh, are either just finishing up their report cards or very are right in the maddening stages of that. So we want to pray for our teachers on that and as well as our students that they can buckle down for the week before spring break. I remember being a student myself. That was always a difficult week to pay attention to anything. So we want to pray for them as well. Also, we want to pray for our university and college students. They're very soon coming to the end of their semester also. So we want to pray that the home stretch is a good one. And we want to pray for, ah, oh, I put this in before we even knew there was a storm. Our town, residents and municipal workers, especially as they're out on the road cleaning up all of the snow. We want to also pray that all of the snow when it melts away doesn't cause any flooding like last year. It shouldn't, but at the same time, eh, we always want to make sure to pray for that. All right, please bow with me now then. Word of prayer. 
Dear God, we come before you this morning thanking you for, thanking you for the snow. While it's an awful lot and it makes it inconvenient to drive this way and that, at the same time, we haven't had terribly much snow yet this winter, and it's better to have more now and have a good season for the fields coming up. And so we thank you for sending it our way. God, we pray that as it melts, it melts into the ground and creates the ideal conditions for a great crop this year. That we put before you. We also pray for anyone that is out traveling in it, that you bring them safety and that they get to look around at the beauty that you have made. There's nothing like driving after a snowstorm to show exactly that. And so that we put before you this morning. And in line with that, we also want to pray for our municipal workers out there cleaning up the snow right now. God, we thank you for them. We thank you for the work that they do to keep it possible to get from point A to point B. And so we pray for safety as they're out there in the plows. We pray that they get the roads cleared up, and we pray that everyone lets them know just how appreciated they are. We also want to pray for our municipal hall and everyone that's working there. They do an awful lot to keep our town running. They do an awful lot to make our day-to-day -day a good day-to-day. -day. And so we want to pray for them. We want to pray that you are with them as they go through their days. We want to pray that they need this, have the support that they need and know that they are appreciated. Lord, that we put before you as well. And we also want to pray for all of the residents of the town. Lord, we pray for our neighbors. We pray for those that we are friends with. God, we pray a thank you for them. And Lord, we pray that you will work amongst all of us. Lord, that we put before you that your kingdom will be built. And God, we want to pray now for our teachers and students also. We thank you for them as they're coming to the end of the term. Lord, we pray for the teachers. We pray that as they are finishing up report cards or are relieved that they are done and are looking possibly at parent-teacher time, God, give them the strength to get through this next week. Lord, we thank you for all of the work that they do teaching the children of our town, teaching the children around us they are truly wonderful. And so, God, we pray strength for them for this next week that we put before you. And we want to pray for our students both here and the week before spring break as well as off in university as they're coming to the end of their term in college as well. God, give them the strength to keep on for the next little bit. They are almost there. And know that they are in our prayers. And finally, God, we want to pray once again for Margaret. It has been a long time that she has been in the hospital. And so we put her before you once again. Please continue to heal her as you have been so far. And we pray that the path forward opens up. What will happen in terms of housing or where to live will make sense. And God, we pray Give her strength and give her 
what she needs right now. Lord, all of these things we put before you, and we lay them at your feet. We also want to say a prayer of thanks for Matt Sawatsky, who did excellent work cleaning out the parking lot also this morning. Amen. All right. Throughout the season of Lent, we have been having people share testimonies that are in line with the theme for that Sunday. And uh, today, talking about the living water, I've asked Evelyn if she'd be willing to come and share. All right. So, as you know, there are three questions that I have that I'll ask you, and I am I'm excited to hear what you have to say. So here's the first one. I know that you have a story about your longing for God. Could you tell that? Tell us about that for a bit. Over the years, I've seen what God can do and how he can bless when we seek him. Through my teenage years, he showed me my way. Having his hand in our family and seeing them walking with the Lord, the ways he worked through us is to build life springs. I remember one time the blessings were so strong I had to say, Lord, if you send another blessing, I'm going to burst. Then later on, in the last few years now, I've started praying the prayer of Jabez and the wonderful blessings that God has been sending, especially during that last week of George's life here on earth. And, and after the funeral, when I was there at home by myself, the presence of the Lord was so strong I, could, I couldn't go to sleep for a few hours. This is only part of my story. And having seen the Lord at work, my longing for more is, is natural. I don't want to let go of that presence of the Lord. Oh, how I long for his presence to come like, it, like this and in revival for our community. And, and uh, just like we are seeing the revival come in the United States, Lord, I'm just praying that it comes here. And I claim Ephesians 3 verse 20. Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think. And I look for more, th- more of the Lord. Oh, and then my second question. How did your spiritual thirst come to be satisfied? How much was a result of hard work and how much was because of God's providence? Do you ever get into a, your spiritu- a place where you're spiritually satisfied? I think I'm blessed beyond measure, but more I get to know, the more I get to know him and his desire for mankind to be saved, the deeper my longing for God grows. His presence is so awesome that I never want to let, live without it. All of this is nothing I have done, but what he has provided. The only thing I, can, I had to do is accept it and be obedient when he asked me to do something. The Christian life gets to be exciting when we do it his way. He will prove himself to be faithful. And for my third question, how do you experience Jesus daily as your living water? Now I have my devotions each morning. When I'm at home, I often listen to a good speaker about about biblical topics or musical, gospel music. It's easier now than that I'm retired. Years ago on the farm, it was harder to do. In all of my busyness, it was hard to get in the time with the Lord. Then one summer when I had problems, it was as if the Lord tapped me on the shoulder in the middle of the day and he said, 
now it's time. So I grabbed my Bible. I went up the hill behind her house and found a place in the bush where I could spend time with the Lord. Coming back, I went to work, and at the end of the day, that half hour or so wasn't even missed. I learned that I have to have my priorities right and do what is important for eternity. God wants me to, co me to come, to seek first his kingdom, and he will provide the rest. Wise words. Thank you for sharing. And if anyone else is interested in sharing their testimony on a Sunday, then let me know, and otherwise I'm going to track you down. All right. Today, we are once again in the season of Lent, the third service, which means that we are talking about, as you heard, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And this is a passage that there are a lot of things going on, and because of that, I was kind of tossing back and forth what way I was going to go with it. And then I had the always wise decision to ask Shannon, and she pointed out something for me that it's a little embarrassing that I never saw before, and so that's what we're going to be talking about in just a little bit. But if you have your Bibles on you, John 4, 5 to 26, John 4, 5 to 26, that's the passage that we're going to be looking at. And as we start off, I can even look as early as four, where he went through Samaria, and uh, there was a village of Sychar in the land of Samaria. And right there, we're actually told quite a lot of things. This is also the well of Jacob that he gave to his son Joseph. The village of Sychar is in the north of uh, Israel. And that's an important thing to keep in mind because it's up in the highlands. And up in the highlands, there isn't much by way of water. There is not really any streams. There's not really any lakes or anything like that. But what there are is a whole pile of wells. And these wells, they need to be very deep because they're up in the highlands, which means that there aren't too many of them, which means that there is long histories to all of the wells that were there during Jesus' time. Hence, why 3,000 years later they know that this was Jacob's well that he gave to Joseph. And we also know from there that we are in the region of Samaria, which means we're dealing with Samaritans, the Samaritan woman. And the thing to know about them is, is that the Samaritans and the Jews are so very close to one another that obviously they're going to hate each other with all that they are. I think that we all kind of understand that a little bit, don't we? There's people that we know in our lives, like our siblings or something, that they're so close to us that we just can't help but just be at each other's throats all of the time. That's the relationship the Jews have with the Samaritans because they are incredibly close to one another. Not only do they live roughly in the same area, but more than that, they worship the same God. The Samaritans do differ in how the Jews worship God, though the Samaritans hold that the first five books of the Old Testament, that's the actual scriptures, all that other stuff, not so much. And because it's only the first five books, that means that if you want to worship the Lord, that means you can do it right here on top of this mountain. That's all fine. While the Jews hold that all of the rest of the books of the Old Testament, that's Scripture too. 
And because of that, it's down in Jerusalem. That is where you worship God from. And so, these two people, while in every way, there'd be no way we would ever be able to tell them apart from one each other looking on, but they can certainly tell themselves apart. And they, because of this being so close, they not standing each other, there's a long history of them being at each other's throats to the point that here we are in the time of Jesus and they just don't even acknowledge each other when they walk by. That's part of why the story of the Good Samaritan is also such an interesting thing, but a story for a different day. But that is important for us to know because as our story begins today, Jesus is at a well. He had been traveling through the region of Samaria, through these highlands that are so dry, and he is now at a well, and a woman comes by, and he says to her, please give me a drink. And immediately our jaws, as people that know the ins and outs of first century politics, our jaws, they just hit the ground. Because this is not just a Jewish man, Jesus. This is a Jewish man who is a rabbi. This is a respected person that is expected to live out the entirety of the Jewish scriptures in his life. And what is he doing? He is acknowledging this Samaritan. Not only is he acknowledging this Samaritan, he's acknowledging this Samaritan woman. This is a period of time where Women aren't really in a good place in society. They are neither seen nor heard unless you are family. So for this Jewish rabbi, Jesus, to acknowledge this Samaritan woman, that again makes our jaws hit the ground. And then not only does he acknowledge her, not only does he see her, what does he do? He asks her to draw him some water for him to drink. That is an important thing to ask anybody. Water is life-giving, particularly when you are walking through a dry highland that is semi-arid like that one. Water is something you have as often as you can because without even knowing it, you might find yourself at the end of your time if you do not drink. And he trusts this Samaritan woman to draw him water. It's hard to impress just how odd that is. And she clearly sees it because she points out I'm a Samaritan woman. You are a Jew, and you, you ask me for something to drink. She is taken aback. She is not sure what it is that she should be doing even. This is something that has never happened in her life before, which Jesus answers in a way that is very common in the book of John, a very enigmatic kind of way. Jesus is a very mystical person in the book of John. And so he answers, well, if you knew who I was, I'm paraphrasing here, if you knew who I was, then you'd be asking me to draw you living water instead. And immediately she is in two states about that. 
I'm always curious when I read how she responds to that statement, how, how she took Jesus talking about, ah, I could give you living water. Because there's two ways you can read it. The first is she's puzzled because that's a very odd thing for someone to tell you that you've never met before, especially if he's somebody that shouldn't be talking to you in the first place. Like, that's an odd thing to say. I'm going to give you living water. But you can also read it in a different way where she's not so much puzzled you can also read it in a way where she's a little annoyed because this is a period of time where you didn't really leave the town you grew up in. She has probably drawn water from that well every day of her life going back to when she was strong enough to lift a bucket out of that well in the first place. And here comes this Jewish man telling her, you can get better water out of that well than what you have. You should have just asked me to do it. So it's not a weird thing to think. Maybe she is a little bit like, oh, come on. And she responds in a way that kind of works either way. Are you telling me that this well that was made by our ancestor Jacob 3,000 years ago, which has never in its entire history had this other type of water, if I just let you do it, we would get this other type of water? which Jesus answers back in a way that regardless of whether or not you think that she is just puzzled or if you think that she is just a little, ugh, in a way that makes her question all the same. The water you get from that well, that well that Jacob built all those thousands of years ago, Jacob, who is one of the patriarchs, Jacob, who is one of the main characters of the first five books of the Bible that the Samaritans held so importantly. Jacob, who is this representative in many ways of that. That water from the well that he built, that will cause you to be thirsty again. But the water I have, you will never thirst again. Right away are Jesus is talking in metaphors. Alarm should be going off. The water I have is living water. The water I have will cause us to never thirst again. And this woman who has drawn water from that well so many times over her life that she has lost count. She's not young by any extent. We can take that by what we learn about her in a couple of verses. She's obviously very interested by this. We don't really have the feeling that she is taking this as a metaphorical thing at this point. She's taking this as a literal well. I'm sick and tired of taking all of this water out of this well. If there was water, I could just drink it once, and then I would be good. Oh, I want that water. How can I get that water? Which Jesus replies, go get your husband. And immediately when you read her response to that, you can kind of feel that she's just clenching her teeth. I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. He states this as matter of fact, as if it was just something that he, even though he's from towns apart, never been through, never seen her in all of his life, just matter of fact, you don't have a husband. You have five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You don't get a hint of judgment in that. You just get, this is a statement. This is a truth. This is how things are. Which she answers, 
somewhat unsure, but also her socks are knocked off. You must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while the Samaritans claim here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped, that that's the place to be. And then immediately we're remembering that big difference about how they're so close to one another, yet because they're so close, they're so far apart, how big a deal that is between these two people. Which Jesus more or less just dismisses it. Salvation comes from the Jews, he states, because Jesus is Jewish. But there is a time coming where it won't matter if you worship here, it won't matter if you worship down in Jerusalem, all that will matter is that we worship the Father through the Spirit and the truth. The woman perks up because she knows that there is one coming who will let that truth be known, the Messiah. I am the Messiah, Jesus tells her. As I mentioned before, this is a great passage. I know I say that like after every passage, but no, it's because I'm a fan of the Bible. They're all great passages. But this one, there are so many different ways that you can go with it. There are so many different things you can take out of it, and they're all right. But there's so many that I kind of wasn't quite sure what I was going to share with you, and so I asked Shannon, and she pointed out that thing for me that is something you likely have all seen just on a surface reading, and it just, you know, you can read a passage again and again and again, and then the obvious thing is the thing that you don't really pick up on. You probably have all seen it many times over, and it's just me that, unfortunately, a bit too dense to see it myself, but that's what we're going to talk about now. And to kind of lay it out, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. I think we all have something in our lives that either we're like so ashamed of or just for whatever reason it became a really big deal to the point where even though it's something that is tangential to who we are at best, we just kind of keep thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it until it eventually just kind of became a really big part of who we are. I think we all have something like that. When I say that, what I automatically think about is back to when I was in school, like elementary, middle school, high school, then into college. and I've shared it before, but my older sister is a very smart person. And when I say very smart, I mean, I look pretty stupid next to her. She is a very smart person, probably the smartest I know. And here's a problem with having a very smart sibling. That has a way of changing how much you try to the point where this kind of stuck with me for an awful long time. I remember she went to the same college I did for one year before I, uh, and I was there for my entire degree. And she took psychology the year before I did. And I remember talking to the professor on my first 
uh, day there and about how excited he was that Andrea's brother is going to be taking this course too. He was expecting clearly great things from me. And then I rocked a D plus average in that class <laughs> to the point where I remember Andrea telling me a conversation he had with him later and he's like, you know what, I would almost want to do a case study on you two. <laughs> Just like the smart one and then the brother. And that, that, that sticks with you, right? Like that sticks with how you come to think of yourself. That sticks with how you come to define yourself. And there's, either you're going to be like, oh, you're the stupid sibling. Or in my case, I did a bunch of mental gymnastics that ended me in a place where I could think a little bit more positively about myself, but whether it was healthy or not, I kind of doubt. Because you know that story that went around about like Einstein with, he did really terrible in math class because he got it so quickly that why would he even try? Well, clearly that was what was happening with me, right? Like clearly I was just so smart, just like my genius sister here, that the reason I did terrible in school was just because it was beneath me. Why would I even try? Like, never you mind that I was half paying attention in school to begin with and would go home and just play video games and not put in any time. Weird thing about being smart or dumb, as I've gone on in life, I've realized that that's not really a thing, is it? It's, if you put in the time to learn something, I've never come across anything you can't actually learn, right? Like, some people pick it up faster, but everyone can pick it up, it just takes time. And I certainly wasn't putting in the time. But I didn't need to, because I was just a genius that wouldn't bother. That sticks with me for a long time. Me living in my own little kind of world, me defining myself like that, and getting out of that headspace, realizing, no, you just need to actually try. <laughs> that was a big thing that took a lot of healing. When you define yourself in certain ways, whether that thing is you define yourself that way because of something sinful that you just can't let go of, or just because that's what you think of yourself, that's how you grasp yourself, it takes a long time break that because it is just part of how you see yourself, part of how you are. In our passage today, we are told that this Samaritan woman didn't have one husband, she had five, and she had the man that she was with now is not somebody that she was married to. This was a period of time where to be a woman meant that you didn't have much value in wider society apart from the kids that you bore. And what that also meant is, is that the value of women in this society was wholly tied up with whether or not they were chaste or not. To the point that if you weren't, then the world around you would not let that drop. 
the rest of the town around this woman would have seen this, and that's what she would have been. And the thing about having an entire town around you tell you what it is that you are, and that's the only thing you are, is, is that she would have seen this, and that would have been the only thing she saw of herself. That's a shame. It's a shame we still do that far too often. Abysmal. But this is how the Samaritan woman would have seen herself. This is how the town around her would have seen her. Now look at Jesus. Jesus first meets her at the well. And he does something that makes our jaw drop to the floor. He sees her. And then he acknowledges her by talking. And then he asks her to do something, trusts her enough to do something that is as important as drawing water for him after he had traveled a long way through a dry land. And then when we come to this part, where he asked, do you have a husband? And no, no, you have five. And then where we would expect that there would be nothing but just that same judgment that far too often we feel towards people that are in the same situation as this woman. Do we get judgment? No, we get a matter-of-fact statement. This is the thing that you think of yourself as. This is the thing that you judge yourself most harshly on. This is the way you define yourself. This is... And then immediately from there, we don't get any feel bad. We get him trying to go into a deeper relationship with her him sharing the good news of what he has come to do, the gospel with her. That's what we get. And there's something comforting in that. Regardless of if this woman's promiscuity or anything or how you have come to define yourself or not. We all have this thing that we do, right? We all have this tendency to pick up this thing that we don't know what to do with, and then we bring it close, and we use it to define ourselves, and we use it to distance others. We use it to distance God. And that's kind of a weird thing to do, isn't it? Because, like, God is literally a God. God knows everything. God looks at the situation and knows the deepest parts of your heart. He knows the actual situation. And to that, what he does is he immediately just tries to reach out, tries to bring you in closer. 
eyes to build the relationship. It's a comforting thing to read in this passage because we all have the things that we just make our thing and we use it to push God away. We try to hide them where God doesn't know and he knows them. He's omniscient. He's God. And even knowing those, he wants to build that closer relationship with us anyway. I've no doubt that when you looked at this passage, everyone saw that except me, but at a sock-knocking-off moment when Shannon pointed that obvious thing out. I like this passage. I think there's a lot that we can take out of that. I think there's an awful lot that we should take out of that. And one of the big things is just ask ourselves, what are the things that we are holding on to? What are the things that we are just repeating in our heads that are just defining us, that we use to push everyone else away? What are the sins that we are holding on to that there's no possible way God would ever forgive? What are the other things in our lives that aren't necessarily sins, but just things we use to define ourselves as different? That we just have to hold on to even though everyone else gets pushed away. God knows all of it. God knows all of these things. God knows everything about us, and yet he wants to have a deeper relationship with us still. This week, here's what I say. You know what those things are in your life. You know the things that you are holding on to that are causing you to push others and push God away. Work towards giving them up this week. It's a long process. Takes a lot of doing. You have to possibly deprogram how you've thought of yourself for an awful long time. This week, start on it. And know that God is right there reaching out to you to help you with exactly that. He wants to be in that deeper relationship with you. And he is going to do everything that he possibly can so that all we need to do is take his hand, take his cup of living water and drink deep. The other thing I want to take out of this is that like the town of this woman undoubtedly what they were like, who around us is somebody that we have a tendency to just kind of be like, well, they're that, and just have nothing to do with them from that on in. Put that level of judgment down and be like, no, we're gonna define them as only that, only promiscuous, only dumb, only sinful, only not, only different than us. 
who is it that we're doing that to in our lives? Because notice that Jesus isn't doing that. So what possible right in all of creation do we have for doing that? Think about it. Think about the people that you deal with in your day that you just keep at arm's length. Why do you? Suspect that there is work that with God's help you need to overcome. But there is. I like our passage today. There is an awful lot in it. But if we start with those two things, as big as they may be, then we will know the taste of the living water that our Lord has to offer in a more refreshing way than I think we did the week before. We have communion today, so I'd like to ask our servers to come up, Gordon Christine. In 1 Corinthians we read, For this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you, just as I received it, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread then and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. At McGregor EMC, we believe that communion is open to all believers. You have somebody young with you, I do ask you parents to make that decision yourself. But now, as the elements are being handed out, I ask we do take time in reflection, that we do think of the things that we are holding on to that are keeping us separate from our brothers and sisters, as well as separate from God, and we pray about them and the moment we go from these doors after the potluck today, we work to make those right. Please join me in reflection now as the elements are handed out.
and together join all our other believers across the world going back to Christ himself. I ask that you now join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In keeping with our theme of water this morning, we will close with Like a River Glorious. We will sing the first two verses, we'll pause for the benediction, and then we will sing the last verse. I invite you to stand if you are able. Again, I'd like to invite you to stay for the potluck after the service. It's smelling great already. It'll be a great time of getting to know each other even better. For our benediction, we turn to the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Go now and serve our wonderful God.